Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... Does it give you pleasure to make other people laugh? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it does. Let me think about that. <laughs> yeah, I guess the answer would be yes, it does. <laughs> Hell, I'm a cartoonist. What, what, <laughs> but you're not what sure. Would be the well, I, I, I don't... I think I sit down... I think the first thing I want to do is satisfy myself and, and do something that would make me laugh. I, I mean, my world is a lot smaller where I work. In the 1980s and early 90s, I can remember spending almost every morning uh, with a newspaper open, reading the comic strips, and today we're talking about one of my favorites. This loomed large for me because it was weird and so was I, and uh, so today we are talking about The Far Side, probably one of the most widely read and loved comic strips of its day and and really still into the future so i'm really excited to talk about this we have a returning guest with us this was his idea and i think it's a fantastic one uh, he is a stand-up comedian he is a writer on netflix's spirit rangers and uh, he is the creator of the comedy central digital series gone native and a uh, a member of the cowlitz tribe himself please welcome back to the podcast joey clift uh yeah hey everybody yeah thanks for so much for having me back doug i'm uh you, you emailed me and um like the opportunity to talk about you know uh the far side is always something i'm gonna jump on so yeah thanks for having me back sure uh, now this was your pick and uh, i'd love to hear about your nostalgic memories of the far side and and why you wanted to talk about it today so i don't remember when i initially discovered the far side um, I want to say it's probably something that like, you know, one of my friends from the neighborhood that I grew up in might have like told me about it. And I remember when I was probably like eight, nine years old, buying like one of those 365 day Farside calendars from like, you know, Spencer's Gifts or some shit in, um, you know, the, the mall near where I grew up. And like, I didn't have a traditional Farside book. I don't even think that I discovered Farside through, like, you know, newspaper comics or anything like that, like comic strips. I think I literally just, like, bought this calendar and just read it, which is something that you're not supposed to do with 365-day calendars. Just immediately read it like it was a book and then, like, you know, picked my favorites. I think, like, starred my favorites and then set it down and then used it for its, like, you know, actual purpose of being a calendar after I'd already read through the whole thing, like, five or six times. (laughs) So um, whenever I was, like, sitting down and reading the strips, it was just, like, a fun rerun. And then, like, honestly, like, later in life, I think that The Far Side was really um, uh, really key in developing my kind of comedic sensibilities. It's just, like, a weird, offbeat, surrealist comic strip. But, like, I feel like later in life, I realized a lot of weird similarities between me and Gary Larson that I just didn't know existed when I was just, like, a kid reading this calendar over and over and over again. Like, to the point that I think I literally, like, like after I tore all the pages off the calendar, I think I saved every single page and, like, stapled them together and, like, read it as if it was a book for a while. But um, Gary Larson, also born in southern Washington State. I was born in southern Washington. He was born in southern Washington. Um, he went to Washington State University. I went to Washington State University. I didn't realize this until after I went there and I saw a giant far side mural in Beasley Coliseum, which is, like, the, the basketball stadium that... Um, 
is it WSU that's um you know it's made by Gary Larson and it says the far side of the state on it and it's got all of his classic characters and um you know like and, and I think that once I saw that I realized that like it's so clear that his the references in his comic strips you know like um he I think went to school for um like anthropology anthropology agriculture stuff like that um and like it makes sense when you think about his strips that like I think literally the reason that it's called the far side is that he's from like he grew up in western Washington and eastern Washington where WSU is located is the far side of the state um eastern Washington um is a very agricultural heavy um kind of region so there's a lot of cows farmers and stuff like that which are all just like classic tropes of far side comics and um, I, mean, I think that he's even said like he got like a WSU, um, like a like a you know noted alumni award or something like that. And he even said that like going to WSU was really key in like developing his sense of humor. So for me, like reading that, you know, after I'd graduated or while I was at WSU was just like such a cool, um, such a cool thing to see. And then, um, oh sorry, I think there's music starting on one of my tabs open. Um, muting tab. Uh, but uh, yeah, and and um, like I, it was to the point that like I when I graduated, I actually emailed Gary Larson to um, ask him, you know, if I could like get coffee with him or ask, uh, you know, ask him for comedy advice or just tell him like, hey, I'm somebody who really looked up to you, and now I I went to WSU, you went to WSU, I'm from Washington State, you're from Washington State, I'd love to just like, you know, like ask for comedy advice, and um, I got a response from his publisher that said. Uh, Gary Larson does not respond to fan mail. Please don't email us. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like I got I got the complete Gary Larson experience throughout. I really, really walked in his footsteps and then annoyed his publisher at the end. I I was surprised. I was like, oh, you 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 got a response. It's going to be an amazing story. And I'm like, no, he he is famously <laughs> reclusive. So yeah, yeah, yeah. What a he just seems like such a. I mean, I don't know. I feel like so many cartoonists like. Um, the, the Calvin Hobbes guy is Bill like similar. Yeah, Bill Watterson is really similar in that, like, once he retired, he was just like, nobody look at me, no photos, you know? Yeah, although both of them have resurfaced of late, because Gary Larson started posting new Farsight stuff on his website in the last couple of years, maybe around the time of the pandemic. Yeah. And I, and I know Bill Watterson, I saw he's... He has a new on, comic like, coming out. It's like a horror graphic novel, like something totally different. Yeah, but I, but it is, like, I feel like for, like, Gary Larson, the Farsight ended in 1994. Five, I think. Right. Like it was, Same um, year. Mid to late. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like mid to late nineties, and like I remember for years, the only time that Gary Larson would ever pop up in the news as like angry environmentalist guy being quoted about like why the whales should be saved or something like that. So it's like, it's like he would he, he was. I mean, he's very much he's very much environmentalist, which I'm sure you can see you know in Farside Comics, but it's like. It was always like, oh, I miss funny Gary Larson and not mad at us for polluting Gary Larson. You know? Yeah. I, I don't remember the first time I encountered the far side. You know, specifically, I was you know, I was very young. But one, the first job I ever wanted when I was a kid was I wanted to grow up to be an animator. And, you know, I loved drawing cartoons. I took drawing uh, cartooning classes. And for me, the holy trinity of comic strips back then was Calvin and Hobbes, the far side, and Bloom County. Those three were pretty foundational in like my sense of, you know, my sense of what was funny and also the way which jokes could be delivered in like uh, a written visual medium like that. They, they all take very different approaches and especially Gary Larson, like a lot of the far side 
sometimes the jokes jump right out at you, but other times it's all in like just the weirdness of the composition. Like there's sort of a remove, like there's a famous one that he got a lot of uh, flack from, from just angry people reading the newspaper that didn't understand it. And it's called cow tools. And literally it's just a drawing of a cow and he's standing in front of a bunch of these, like, typically Gary Larson, like, surreal-looking tools. You can't tell what their function is. And, like, one saw. And there's, like, a barn in the background, and it just the caption says, cow tools. And that's it. And people lost their minds trying to figure out what this joke was. And the and Gary Larson eventually had to, like, weigh in and sort of, like, no, no, that's the joke. Their, their tools are weird and alien to us. A cow society would have different tools. That's it. And... That sometimes that was all you got, like these very, very like dry, removed, abstract, weird things. Yeah, I think that like Gary Larson did such a good job of painting a picture of like, it's like, I think that he's talked about this in interviews and in that it's like starting you at the midpoint. So and like it causes your imagination to really hit like, OK, what happened before this and what happened after this? Like um, for me, probably one of my favorite far side strips, which I remember like. Like, I think I might have just, like, packed this up to my wall at some point when I was a kid, is um, a comic strip of, uh, like, a, a, a guy in a house standing on his porch uh, yelling at a dog in front of uh, just, like, a very poorly mowed lawn. And the text on it is, you call that mowing the lawn? Bad dog. No biscuit. Bad dog. And it's just so funny to me to imagine, like... This guy trained this dog to mow the lawn and the dog did like he mowed the lawn, but he didn't do a good enough job mowing the lawn. And this guy's mad at him. <laughs> so it's like it's just so I don't know. It's like it's so good at like dropping you in at just the right comedic moment, you know? Well, it's the way he structures it, right? Like, he, as you said, he's he's kind of expecting you to do a lot of the work to find where the joke is and, and where he's meeting you. And part of that is also because he is like, with rare exception, it's one panel yeah. every time. And so he has to sort of, th through the composition of the drawing and, and with his limited verb, verbiage at the bottom, just draw you in to give you all the, the clues you need to decipher a joke. Um, you know, that, that is a, a very high level of expectation for your audience. And I, I learned a lot from just reading that going like, oh, okay, you can, you can write a joke where, um, you know, yeah, the, it's not a classic Borscht Belt setup and punchline. Like you're, they, yeah, they want yeah. you to do that work. Yeah. It's sort of like in, in sketch comedy terms, they're just like perfect little blackout sketches, you know, where it's just like lights up you see something that is insane without context you get the slightest bit of context and then it just ends and it's just such a it's such an efficient and cool way to do comedy and i i think it's really cool to see like i feel like um you know uh even in modern com modern comedy strips it's like i feel like modern heathcliff kind of takes a lot of cues from the far side in that like they'll just have these weird insane one panel strips that like don't really have a setup and they don't really have a punchline it's just a weird thing and you kind of go mad adding in the context yourself <laughs> like um do you know do you know a garbage ape or you heard of garbage ape i've seen i believe i've seen some garbage ape yeah oh hell yeah so like now this podcast is about garbage ape um, all right <laughs> yeah yeah so it's like yeah like garbage ape i think is another thing that, it's very gary larson and that it's just like 
a photo of an ape with a garbage can, and he's wearing like a helmet that says meat, and then the 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 text at the bottom says like the children rejoice the arrival of garbage ape, and then there's like children clapping, and it's just like right. okay, it's like it just paints such a a weird image of this world that I don't know. It's just like it, like I, I think that for me, even talking about it, it's like I think that like this is really good. It's really good early comedy writing training to read far side because like it's kind of on you to give the, the, the strips that are on punchline, which is just good training, you know? Yeah. They let your imagination run wild in yeah. ways that, that like no other comic strip of that time or before had done even the really good ones. Like I love Calvin and Hobbes. I love Bloom County. Those, like I said, those were huge for me, but they don't do this very much. They don't work in that mode. Like Gary Larson stuff is so cerebral. Um, it's almost like, like a, like a, I don't know, like a, gosh, a Mitch Hedberg joke or something. It's real like dry one-liner stuff. Uh, and, and a guy like Mitch Hedberg could get away with like giving you that one line and then saying nothing and just waiting for the audience to catch up with him. That's what this feels like. Well, yeah, I feel like, um, like, I feel like, uh, most comic strips, like, I mean, you know, even though it's only a few panels, it's like, um, Calvin and Hobbes, there was still some effort to tell a story, <laughs> like, you know, or at least give you some context of like a moment or of a scene where it's just like Gary Larson was like, eh, you figured it out. <laughs> he was like a sandwich pushing another sandwich into a lunchroom, uh, like with the text, the sandwich mafia sends Luigi to sleep with the fourth graders. Yeah, you get it. This is a world where like sandwiches are the mob and fourth graders are like sharks and you blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like it, it just it lets you fill in the blanks in a really fun way. Absolutely. Yeah, I, that is kind of the the magic of, of how it works. And like he's doing so much to sort of tie his hands behind his back. Right. Because not only is he doing this with one panel, he also has no real recurring characters either. And so every new thing is a fresh thing. There's sort of like these people that you will see like, oh, that looks like the same farmer with the glasses I've seen before. But they're not like characters with a, any name. They, they don't have a name. They're, there's no depth. If they are given a name in that one strip, it won't be the same name they have the next time you see them, you know, 38 strips from now. So he, you don't have any of that familiarity to bank on where like in Calvin and Hobbes when like when you can sort of use like, oh, that's a very Calvin thing to say, right? You can rely on their characters to, for part of the comedy. Gary Larson saying, no, no, everything is this just this one weird observation at a time. Yeah. Now I'm really curious about like, what was the, what was the last far side strip? Because I oh, feel like. I know that I one. I like... looked it up for today. Yeah. Okay. It's... Yeah. Cause I feel like there's some effort like, you know, with, you know, Calvin and Hobbes, peanuts and all that stuff, there was some effort to like, you know, tie things up and like leave you feeling good about where the characters are. Whereas like the far side, it's like, what, what's he, I don't know. There aren't characters. They actually did it as well. He did it as well as you possibly could because with that constraint. So the last far side comic, it's actually a two panel one and the, it's the wizard of Oz. So at the, it's, it's like this, it's Gary Larson himself about to, you know, talking to Glinda the Good Witch and surrounding the platform he's standing on are all of the, like, you know, it's the cow and the caveman and all these characters he draws over and over again. And, you know, the Glinda's saying something, you know, you know well, well, Gary, we'll miss you. Go, you know, you're going back. And the next panel is him waking up in bed like Dorothy and saying, you know, oh, and I was in this crazy place and you were there and you were there. It's, it, it's like, I don't know how else you could have done it better to wrap that up <laughs> without any real characters or story. 
But that is a very, I don't know, it's like putting in your improv hat. That's very just like tag out. Well, that was a crazy dream you had. It fits with like the motif, right? This is the far side. It's a strange world where things are weird, but he's going back to. Yeah, but it's kind of the it's like, I mean, I'm sure you remember that in improv where it's like something crazy would happen and then somebody would tag you out and say like, whoa, you didn't take your crazy pills or just like, anyway, that's the weird screenplay I was pitching or whatever. So, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is, yeah. F you, Gary Larson, come up with a better ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is the stuff they beat out of you in your first improv class. It's like, don't pull a gun. Don't tell everyone they're crazy and it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Although, I, I do, although, props to Gary Larson. I'm looking at the strip now. There's randomly just a giant snake in this guy's bed. <laughs> yeah, his real world he goes back to, I don't think, is exactly the real world. It's still pretty Gary Larson-y. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I like the idea that this whole thing was like literally it was a fever dream that he's like madly script, you know, scribbling. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, when it's I don't know, it's like I think that of all of the newspaper comic strips, I feel like the far side is the one where you can really feel it's you can really feel like the um, the creative branch family tree, like all of the branches that came off of the far side. Like, um, you know, things like The Simpsons. The Simpsons is very far side at times. There's um, like Perry Bible Fellowship feels like it's I was going just, to bring them up. Yeah. 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 It's like it's just that feels like it's just it's the far side. But like for the Internet and it came out like, you know, 10 years afterwards, you know, after the far side. Yeah. I love Perry Bible Fellowship. If you, if you haven't found it, go to pbfcomics.com, which it's extremely funny. It's extremely well drawn. The guy that guy is incredibly skilled. And uh, it's a similar thing. He'll do multiple. um, He won't do always single frame things. It's a lot of multiple frames. But there is sort of that same level of like there's a little bit of an edge and there's like an abstraction to it sometimes that, again, he's also uh, trusting you to to kind of meet him halfway in the joke. Yeah, I I guess that like what, what I really love about all this stuff, like I would say things like the far side Perry Bible Fellowship is it's sort of like. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Garfield, but it feels like, like by design, Jim Davis was trying to go for the most broad audience that he possibly could. Like that's, I think that the the early Garfield strips were, I think that it, like early Garfield was literally called John or something like that, and it was about it was about John Arbuckle. He was a cartoonist, and um, you know, he also happened to have this cat. And then I think he got the note from um, like another famous cartoonist at the time of like. You should just make it about the cat. Like people like cats. Like people like talking animals. And then he switched, made it made it more about Garfield, and then it like blew up as a big success. So that feels like something where the the goal was to make it for as much of a mainstream audience as possible. Whereas the far side was just like, want to see some weird bullshit? Like it, you know, it's like I feel like like you know things like cow tools, which you mentioned. It's like there's not a world where Gary Larson was like. Everybody will get there. Everybody will get this one. You know, like, I think that, like, I like that it is kind of like, hey, weirdos, here's a comic series just for you. You know, he uh, he feels like he's on this continuum with guys like Frank Zappa, almost like Here, here's some yeah. weird music for you. And have you ever read any of the stuff that B. Clyburn put out? Uh, B. Clyburn, that name's really familiar. So he's known for draw- doing a lot of like cat drawings, but basically he is the. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, I've seen B. Clyburn, yeah. Yeah, he's like, you know, if uh, if Gary Larson is Homo sapiens, Gary Larson is, you know, Homo erectus. Like he's, he's just a little farther back 
on the evolution. Or Beekleibin is Homo erectus. Or Beekleibin is, yeah. He's he's yeah, the, yeah. the earlier point in the evolution of this stuff. Because I, I, I remember reading The Far Side as a kid and my dad going, you know, hey, if you like this, check this out. And he had some Beekleibin books. He has one, that, the one that comes to mind, is, it's called uh, Never Eat Anything Bigger Than Your Head. And the cartoon is literally just figure one, guy with, you know, like a meatball on his fork. And figure two, a guy with like a meatball on his fork that's bigger than his head. And that's it. It's just, again, very similar vibe, very similar way of like delivering these weird jokes. His his art style is very different. It looks more like R. Crumb drawings. And sometimes it would get a little more um, risque in terms of, I think he would, you know, he'd put like boobs and stuff in his cartoons that Gary Larson could not get away with. But <laughs> Gary Larson desperately wanted to, Gary Larson, every moment of yeah. Gary Larson's life, he was like, what if this cow had boobs? <laughs> Well, they—I mean—they're all out there, right? They're udders. That's what they're doing. But yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. But like, yeah, if you go, if you if you feel like, hey, I've exhausted all the far side, go read B. Clyburn stuff because it's like, oh, I this is there is a very clear link between that stuff and, and the far side. Well, I, I think that like uh, comics, like like newspaper comics, people are. It feels like you have to be like a very specific type of creative weirdo to create newspaper comics because you're, you know, you're churning something out like, you know, every day, like, uh, you know, if if not, you know, I mean, I think you might, you might take Saturdays off, but like six days a week, you've got a comic you're churning out. Um, you know, you you and I have a background in like live comedy, things like, you know, improv, stand up, sketch and stuff like that, where you can get like an audience's sense of if something is funny. Whereas I feel like with, you know, uh, any sort of newspaper comic artist, like by your nature, you're kind of reclusive. Like you're not, you're not like reading your far side comic strip to an audience to see if like it's good or not. You're just kind of like going off of your own intuition that like, you know, it's like, has Gary Larson ever stood up in front of a stage and told jokes? Like probably not <laughs> like, you know, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it like that of like, you know, Gary Larson, um, you know, the, the, um, the Calvin Hobbes creator, Bill Watterson, like just hitting a point where they're like, I'm done, you know, like, cause they're not, they're not chasing like the, the dopamine spike of laughs from an audience. They're just like, well, I've entertained myself enough. Bye. You know, totally. And there's also a, a very different process and method to the way that a joke is being delivered here. As you said, it's not live. It's not meant to be read out loud. I think of guys like Douglas Adams writing the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and, and like, right. that's a really funny book. But you have to think if you're Douglas Adams, like, well, I, I, you know, outside of, you know, the rare book reading where I am going to read this out loud, I have to make sure this joke is funny as you read it in your own head. And it's just such a different medium that way. And guys like Gary Larson, it feels like he is sort of not thinking of the audience in a way. He's just he's truly in that box of his own making and going like, what do I think is funny? I'll just do that. And if you guys think it's funny too, you'll come along with me. But he seems to be definitely just like, I'm writing for me. What makes me laugh? Well, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, what I, I think it is like, it's like, I, I think that it, it's so interesting to see like using, you know, Gary Larson and Jim Davis is I think like kind of opposite ends of the spectrum of like Jim Davis is still writing Garfield comics, you know, it's like he's been writing Garfield for 40 years, maybe more. And it it feels like Jim Davis kind of understands Garfield as like a product. So, um, you know, it's like, does Jim Davis 
think that every Garfield strip that he writes is funny. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But, like, I think that at a certain point, it's like Jim Davis is like, Garfield is my job. Like, this is the thing that I do, you know, six days a week. Um, you know, like, I end every strip with him saying that he hates Mondays and likes lasagna. And uh, that's relatable to people because everybody loves lasagna or whatever, you know. Um, it feels like Jim, Jim Davis is writing Garfield with an audience in mind. And I think that that's why he's kept doing it is he like understands that he's creating a product for people other than himself. Whereas I, I think that Gary Larson, like he said that one of the reasons that he um, stopped doing the far side is that he just felt like if he kept doing it, he would be repeating jokes. And that's like, Oh, he's not, he's writing entirely for himself, you know, in, in a way that's like, honestly kind of like cool to see in that, like he's just like, well, this, this does not entertain me anymore to do. And I'm, writing this kind of for an audience of one. I'm not trying to sell like far side t-shirts or whatever. So like, you know, that, that it makes sense as to why he would just like say like, well, I'm going to put my pin away. Like goodbye everybody, you know? Yeah. He, he said something about, you're not wanting to go to the graveyard of mediocre cartoons and, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, go out on top. And, you know, he had already made a bajillion dollars selling those calendars you talked about and yeah, you know, totally. mugs and t-shirts and everything else. And so he, he certainly had the financial freedom to, to walk away. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like he doesn't, when you're talking about like, this is accessible, like a, a strip like Garfield or Marmaduke would deal with some, exactly some of the same tropes that Gary Larson, would. He, you know, he, he would take the most basic trope in the world, right? Dogs and mailmen don't get along. And he would find a way to, come at that from an angle that would be so different as to be right. you know, unique. It's not just like, you know, Oh, Garfield, you eat a lot. You know, it, it would be something else. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's like, it is just really, um, I don't know. It's like, it's like, I, I think that there is, um, there are admiral things about both sides of it. I think that like, it's, I think it's cool that Jim Davis, like looks clearly looks at creativity as like a craft. Like it's just, he's building a shelf every day and like that shelf is named Garfield, you know? Um, and it's just his job and he's got to do it. Whereas I feel like Gary Larson is somebody that's like more concerned with the art of it. And that's not to say that Jim Davis isn't like a weirdo. Like, I don't know. It's like, there's so many, um, you know, uh, like Garfield books and Garfield strips that, they, that he's done where it's clear, like, Oh, you're like a really good introspective comedy writer. Like, you know, Garfield's nine lives, I think is an example of like a book that he wrote that was like, um, it was uh, every, uh, it was nine different Garfield stories of Garfield throughout the ages. So here was Garfield if he was a caveman. Here's Garfield in space, you know. And it's like these really different stories. And I think there's the, the Garfield um, series that they released, I think, like around Halloween, where like it felt like, oh, is Garfield dead? Has he been dead for 20 years, you know? And he woke up in an abandoned house. Um, you know, like Jim Davis, he wrote like a Galactus comic for Marvel that's just like Galactus eating planets like the lasagna or whatever, you know. And so I, I do think that with Jim Davis, there is just this like there is this funny creative spark that exists. But I think that he's also just a guy that like looks at Garfield as his job and isn't necessarily, um, you know, worried about having like everything be a piece of art. Whereas I do feel like Gary Larson was just like so much more concerned about like is it good? <laughs> you know? And I don't know. It's like, it's like both sides of it. I think that like, I think that I respect both sides of it a lot, but it is cool to like, it, there is something cool about Gary Larson being like, I'm done. You know, it's that classic art versus commerce 
debate. Yeah, and, totally. And he's totally. clearly yeah. on, the, on the art side of it. Um, while we're on that subject, talking about the art itself, the, since this is a visual thing, it's hard to do on a podcast, but he is such a unique art style. I mean, it's, you know, it's instantly recognizable. It's, you know, it's very odd. Um, it, it's, it's almost hard to put into words, but like all the people are like these like tombstone shaped you know, <laughs> yeah. people with these like, you know, very sort of elongated heads and noses and, and tiny eyes. And uh, yeah, and that sort of extends out to these animal characters or even like space aliens and stuff. It's, it's a really odd aesthetic, but it's uh, it's kind of neat. Oh, yeah, for sure. You could definitely like you could definitely look at a Gary Larson drawing and immediately clock it as a Gary Larson drawing, regardless of whether, um, you know, you can see his name on it or not. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's, it's just. Uh, yeah, I think that like he's just such a he's a guy that like I genuinely, you know, I'm. I totally understand he's a reclusive weirdo. That's why he did not respond to my email. But, you know, I also feel like he would be a really cool guy to talk to about, like, creativity for an hour, you know? Yeah, well, his approach is, you know, as we sort of said, like, yeah. he, he it's extremely thoughtful. Because, again, to, to draw one of these things and think about the text, he's got to think about that joke. He's got to think. He, he spends a lot of time on the composition, right? Because... You know, you could think of like, how do I visually represent this joke? There's probably, a, you know, 50 different ways to do it. But he's thought very carefully because, again, he has to give you those clues. Sometimes it's just about an expression on a character's face, um, the way something is in the foreground versus the background. So there's a ton of thought and care put into the every single frame of this thing. Yeah, but there's also like, did, did you read any of his uh, any of his new far sides that he released in 2020? A handful. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if he made very many of them. I remember when the first three came out and being really excited to read them, but I, I think that he might have just like stopped at those three or something. But it was uh, the way that he went about it and the way he described it was so interesting because, like, you know, this this came out in 2020. This was 25 years after his last Far Side comic. Um, you know, uh, like outside of like I think he he did like a, a New Yorker cover in 2003. He hadn't really done a lot of like art in the public sphere, art in the public sphere, and specifically had not written like a new Far Side comic in a while. So that he just like dropped these on his website, like in the way that he did it was like, it was like, well, like I don't know, I like I bought a new digital tablet and like thought it'd be fun to draw some stuff, so here it go. <laughs> you know, it's like it was with like zero fanfare, like there was no like oh, it's been twenty five years and my fans have been wanting to know about the far side it was just like i don't know it was like every time i draw my my ink pens get clogged so i got this tablet and had some fun you know like and it's kind of like can you imagine like if a star wars movie came out like that like it's like you know this is you know imagine it's like it's it's 1995 and george lucas has not made a star wars movie in 12 years and the prequel trilogy does not exist and he was just like, I bought a digital camera and made a new Star Wars. Here you go. And it's like, what? Like this thing I've been waiting for for like 25 years, you know? Um, so I don't know. It's like he's just such a uh, he's just like such a such a weirdo in a way that I really appreciate. He, yeah, he definitely ticks that box of like, you know, he's an eccentric. Yeah. But uh, but in, in only in certain ways, because I don't get the sense that he's like. He's not an eccentric in the way of like he's going to be, you know, hawking, you know, uh, vaginal eggs like Gwyneth Paltrow or, you know, he's going to be. Although if he if he if he did, if he, if he sold vaginal eggs, I'd for sure buy a Gary Larson vaginal egg. 
It'd probably be shaped like a chicken, sort of, you know. Yeah, it'd be a beach. It would, it would have a really funny, on the box, they would say, like, cow tools or some shit, yeah. and it would be great. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, he's not the kind of person that's like, oh, he's going to, you know, show up, you know, high on mescaline at some, like, art gallery somewhere. Like, you know, the, the kind of things you think of, like, celebrities being weird and doing. Like, his eccentrism is all just, like, I, I find oddball things funny, but now I'm going to go just back to my house and garden for a while. Or so I don't picture him doing that much weird stuff in his downtime you know, for the last 30 years. Yeah, well, it, this is something that I often think about. Just like, you know, living in Hollywood and working in the entertainment industry is I definitely feel like there are people that are like true eccentrics. And then I think that there are people that just like want to be weird because it'll get them noticed or whatever. And I don't get the impression with, you know, like I would say with Bill Watterson and Gary Larson, I don't get the impression that they're like trying to be weird when they won't do interviews. You know, I think it's just like they, they're probably like fairly introverted people. They like have their lives that they like, you know, like they have their gardens or whatever. And like anything that kind of tips that apple cart, they're just like, nah, I don't need it. Like I have Calvin and Hobbes. I have, I have Calvin peeing on things, sticker money. I don't have to talk to you, you know. Although I've heard he he did not sanction that, so I don't know if he gets any Calvin peeing on things sticker money from that. Which uh, he gets the pride of it existing, <laughs> right? Thank God, my beloved character is peeing on everything. Yeah, is peeing on a Ford truck, like or whatever. It is probably the height of political discourse. I think is to have Calvin peeing on you know Biden twenty twenty four or whatever they've put it on. Uh, I really want to see if, like, there's a sticker that exists that's just Calvin peeing into a urinal that's just like, yeah, take that urinals. <laughs> I think at this point you have to take it to real. Like, Calvin peeing on a smaller Calvin who's peeing on a smaller Yeah, Calvin, yeah. Right? Um, but, yeah, to, uh, so did you have any – did you eventually come around to getting any, any of those uh, far side collections or no? Uh, no, so I, I I need to. It's like It's like I know that there exists, like, you know uh, – like multiple book anthologies of the far side that are like, you know, gold encrusted and stuff like that. And I feel like that's definitely, that's definitely like uh, something that I need to get at some point in the future. I just like, I, I haven't, I haven't, uh, look, I don't like him that much. No, I, um, <laughs> nah, I, uh, you know, it's like, I feel like there are things like that where like, you know, the internet exists, which I know is like, I know Gary Larson hates that his comics are posted on the internet and he's like, that's another like specific weird thing is like he he really came out hard you know his rare public comments from like probably 2000 to like 2018 or something like that were entirely about people asking people to not create far side fan sites um and to not like to not put his comics on the internet on Twitter or anything like that um I think that he described it as like you know, uh, if you, it's like, he described it as like when your kid like runs away from home and then you see pictures of your kid and they're just like, they went where, you know, um, which is such like an archaic, but also kind of like pure way to look at the internet. And I'm sure from his perspective, it's like, he probably pays all of his bills with far side books. So it's like, he's probably like, no, don't, don't make a fan site. That's going to prevent you from buying my like $200, like, you know, gold encrusted far side anthology or whatever, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't actually, I don't own any far side books, but I, it's definitely on my, like, at some point in my life, I will get a very nice, like, you know, I think there's like a two volume far side collection. That's just like very nice and crazy that I need to get at some point. 
I've seen one. Yeah, it's like three volumes, and it's it looks like a, it's got like a cowhide sort of uh, art style. Yeah, I think the pages are like gilded or something. Yeah, and it's all four thousand three hundred and some odd strips. I, I don't know if it goes all the way back to the early days when it was still called Nature's Way, but they might have that stuff in there too. Uh, I have two of them sitting next to me, these little ones that like, because like I said, when I was a kid, I was obsessed. And so anytime I'd go into a bookstore, it's like, oh, let me go to the section where all the like the comic strip collections are. Is there a new Calvin and Hobbes one to get? Is there a new Farside? So next to me, I, I asked my mom to go in my old room and see what was there, pull a few so I could look at them to prepare for this. So I've got the Farside Observer. I've got that one and Valley of the Farside just sitting here. And uh, it's like, yeah, they're perfect. Uh, I'm curious to see how my kids react to them Uh, because my daughter likes Calvin and Hobbes. She's been into that one. This is this is much more abstract and weird. So I don't know how she's going to feel about it. But going back and looking at them, I was like, oh, God, there's so many. Uh, Did you have any particular favorites? Oh, yeah. I like I I mentioned the um, you know, my favorite being the, you know, you call that mowing the lawn, bad dog, no biscuit, bad dog. Um, You know, the sandwich mafia sends Luigi to sleep with the fourth graders. Um. There's the the classic like school for the gifted one of the yeah. the kid pushing the pole sign. You know, I mean, there's just like, I feel like I don't know. There's just like so many classics. Um, yeah, it's uh, I don't know. What, what, what are your favorite um, Far Side comics? God, I'm trying to you 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 ping the the most probably the best known one, which is that yeah, it says like the Midvale School for the Gifted, and there's this kid just shoving as hard as he can on the door to push it and it says pull on the door that to me that's probably like if you were going to show somebody one far side comic that's the one to show them god there's so many there, there, i mean it's to me what i i almost i can't remember individual strips i just remember so many like recurring themes where it's like okay let's do the bit with the guy on the desert island right let's do oh the, the caveman so here's one that was fun um, I found out about. So there's this one where a caveman is giving like a presentation. He's got like a, a slideshow and he's showing the tale of a stegosaurus. Oh yeah. I was just going to bring this one up. Yeah. Yeah. And he says like, you know, this is, you know, this, we're calling this the thagomizer after thag who was killed by it. Or I forget what the text is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then paleontologists did, who also did not have an actual like name for that part of the dinosaur started calling it the thagomizer because of this strip. Yeah, I think that it is the I think that it is the technical name for the the pointy tail of the stegosaurus now due to Gary Larson. And um just a, like a, a funny story, I was um writing uh, actually yeah, sure, I'll just I'll, I'll I'll shout him out and I'll talk about it. Um I was uh freelancing on a like a Netflix kids series called um, Ridley Jones, which is a really great um show you can watch on Netflix created by Chris Nee. And um, one of the uh, one of the um, uh, writers on the show is a really funny writer named Kent Redeker, who um, has created a lot of really great kid shows. Like Higley, Higley Town Heroes um, was his show, which which came out in the mid two thousands, and he's you know written on just like name a kid show over the past twenty years, and he's probably written on it. And um, he in one of his Ridley Jones scripts snuck in like just referring to a stegosaurus's tail as a, as a thagomizer is just like that's my thagomizer or something like that. And I read that and I was like, oh, that's a far side reference. And he's like, you know, it is <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> so I, I, yeah. I also, I mean, obviously there's a lot of stuff that's like observations about animals and um, the one that springs to mind, there's that classic one that was says something like, you know, uh, what dogs are actually saying. And it's just dogs, you know, like out in the neighborhood, riding in a car. And it's just the word, Hey, 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 that's all they're saying to each other. 
and I like that. That is a perfect far side joke of like, yeah, that's it. The, the dogs don't have anything to say. A bark is what you think it is. It's just hay. Yeah. Um, there's also another one. What we say to dogs, and it's like all they hear is like blah 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 their name, blah 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 their name, blah 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 blah. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is something where like, you know, it's I like looking back and um, looking back at these you know far side strips even just over the past you know couple hours before recording this. It is, um, like, I can definitely track, uh, like, you know, sketches that I wrote when I was doing a lot of, like, live sketch comedy that's like, oh, this is just a far side strip. (laughs) Like, you know, um, like, I feel like it's just, it's like, I'm not sure if you have things like this, but it's like, it's so ingrained in my comedy DNA that it's like, you kind of don't even think about it until you, like, actually look at those strips and you're like, oh, yeah, I, like, flat out, like, this is just me doing my version of a far side strip, but in a, a half page stage sketch, you know? Yeah. And sometimes they're just like, they're literally sort of like dad jokes. Yeah. Like, I'm flipping through this one just now as we're talking, there's one here. It shows, so it's a close up of um, uh, the top of a guy's head, like his, uh, just a regular, like standard men's haircut. Uh, and there's two cowboys standing inside of it. And it says, say, ain't you a stranger in this part? As in, like, the part in his hand. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you, you, it's really just, like, one weird wordplay joke. And it's just, like, there's something about, like, it's hard to say, like, oh, he really commits to the bit because it's a just a simple one-panel drawing. But there's something about, like, yeah, like, the, you, the only way you make a dad joke deliverable and make it land is this, like, level of weird sincerity. There's also there's a strip. Um, this one doesn't is a rare a rare farcid strip that does not have any text associated with it. It's just of like uh, a cat. It's like a it's a pet store. It says Bob's Pets on the window. There's a cat sitting near the cash register that has like two peg legs for its front legs, and then in the foreground is a fish tank that says Piranha twenty nine dollars. And it's like aw, <laughs> you look at that and you're like that that cat trying to eat the piranha. <laughs> it's a sad little short story, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he has a, a sense of the macabre too. Like I said, the stuff isn't risque. Oh yeah, it's not risque, but occasionally it does get morbid. And like again, he it does it seems you know totally G rated as you look at it. But if you let your imagination wander just a little bit farther, you realize like no, that is pretty dark, right? Like somebody got their leg chopped off or whatever. Yeah, I'm looking at another one. Um, it's of a uh, a bunch of demons in hell. Uh, and like the demons are making a bunch of people like you know work with pitchforks and stuff like that. And there's this one guy who just like seems really happy and he's whistling as he's like pushing a crate of coal. And uh, the text is, you know, we're just not reaching that guy. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Again, a great uh, another one springs to mind now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, it's three old dudes sitting on a porch, and one guy is you know he, his like knee is like. Sw- swelled up and he's like oh it must be it's gonna rain because my trick knee is acting up and the next guy has like his elbow or something oh my my trick elbow is acting up and then the next guy just his entire head is gigantic (laughs) and and it's like oh there goes bob or whatever (laughs) it's it's again like the amount of like that is a joke that is like a you know a rule of three joke somehow worked out into a single panel yeah, um, I, I've also got a shout out. Um, it's, it's it's like I love flipping through these because it is such a it's like nostalgic. It's nostalgic to look at Farside comics for me, but it's also like oh, these are just good jokes. Like 
like I'm looking at a panel of like uh, it's three bears in a cave, clearly two kid bears and one adult bear. The adult bear is holding the skulls of two humans and st- sitting on a pile of their bones. And the uh, it's clearly like the bear is putting on a puppet show with these human skulls. And the caption is, okay, one more time and it's off to bed for both of you. Hey, Bob, think there are any bears in this old cave? I don't know, Jim. Let's take a look. Like, it's just... Oh, yeah, yeah. The the before... You, you, you immediately imagine the before and after this, and it's horrifying, but also hilarious. Right. The two guys wandered into the cave, and now this is the, the bedtime story that this bear is telling over and over. Every Oh, we want to hear the story again about the two guys that wandered into the cave. Yeah, using again, their decapitated skulls as puppets. Yeah, again... You you figure all of that out just from the you know like one line of text and a drawing, and it's brilliant. Like there, there's no other way to look at. It. Like I I don't know that I would have the ability to do this. I tried writing a comic strip when I was in junior high, uh, writing for our junior high paper, but like it was much more traditional. It had re- you know, animal, recurring animal characters, and uh, like the Far Side, there were jokes that nobody understood, but that's because they were bad. Not because, you know, so I, I so I tried, but I never. I, I will say I drew a lot of. I mean, I still draw a lot. I, I doodle a lot, but like I would remember, like I'd finish up a math test or something, and if I had you know seven minutes left on the clock, then I would flip the paper over and I would draw. I'd try to draw some kind of a one-panel strip like that on the back, and uh, never did I achieve Larson levels of of uh, brilliance, but. I just remember being so inspired. I'm like, I, I wanted to do this for no other reason than like, I have time and I want to try. Yeah, no, I, I honestly, I had a similar, a similar creative thing that I did when I was in college. I would, um, uh, every class that I took, like I, you know, this was like, um, I didn't have like a, like a nice laptop at the time. So I, um, used just like a notepad and what I would always do when taking my notes in college is I would write like, you know, whatever class it was like English 101 or whatever. And then I would do a dash next to the date. And then I would just write like a one-liner joke or just and like, yeah, most of them sucked. But like, it is sort of something that's just like, it just kind of like gets your brain going and it's fun to kind of like work in that space, you know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's a challenge to try and write a joke like this to, you know, it's, it's not as simple as like doing a sketch or, you know, even saying I'm going to draw a three panel or a four panel comic, right? The, all you, you have to adopt all of his constraints and then see if you can make it work. It's something that's like, you know, I know we touched on this a little bit ago, but something that just, that just makes me think about, like, you know, I feel like with, with Calvin and Hobbes and with um, Garfield and with a lot of pre-existing comic strips, you have kind of character tropes that you can just sort of use as like an easy out if you can't think of a joke. So it's just like, Garfield's lazy and he hates Mondays. Okay, cool. I can't think of an out for a third panel for the strip, so I'll just lean on him being lazy and hating Mondays. Whereas with Gary Larson, it's like there's not there's not characters, so there's not like character tropes he can lean on. So it's like every like you couldn't really phone it in in a way that like and you know like I'm speaking as somebody where it's like you know if you're if you're writing for characters that you know and especially characters that exist in the popular culture. You can kind of lean on sometimes like, oh, if you can't think of a funny joke or a funny way to end a scene or a sketch or a story or whatever, you can just lean on like the character does their character thing, you know, and it's it's really like admirable that Gary Larson doesn't really have anything like that that he can lean on. So he just had to like 
he just had to like swing for the fences every time, you know. There, there's not like a, a far side catchphrase that he could just use, you know. Yeah, there's no catchphrases. There's no continuity. There's not even like say, I mean, Calvin and Hobbes would occasionally go for like an emotional moment with you know him and his parents or his best bud. You know, there, there's none of that. Right. It's, it's, it's like with with the Simpsons, it's like Homer can just say dough if they can't think of a good joke, you know, and it's like Gary Larson never had anything like that. No. Yeah. Again, th- this whole thing, it was really interesting to go back and then watch the the Tales from the Far Side Halloween special, which you can find. I don't know if you can find the whole thing outright, but you can find chunks of this on YouTube. There was an animated special that was done to try and uh, actually mimic some of the success of the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episodes and i think they do capture the tone of this stuff largely because there's almost no dialogue it's largely you know there's silence there's some like grumbling or animal noises but almost no spoken words in the whole thing and it it gives the whole the whole affair just this very surreal vibe that like yeah that that is the tone of the far side it works um, so I, I, I just saw a far side comic that came out, honestly, the week I was born that I'm really excited to read for you. Uh, it's, um, two explorers in the jungle, they're flipping through a journal and around them are just like, you know, tattered remains of like, you know, uh, like a tattered explorer shirt, journal pages on the ground, a boot, like clearly this is a scene where something happened. And the text is, here's the last entry in Carlson's journal. Having won their confidence, tomorrow I shall test the humor of these giant but gentle primates with a simple joy buzzer handshake. And it's like, oh, clearly this guy tried that and then got mauled to death, you know? Right. The, again, the perfect level of like, it's it's like G-rated, but also, you know, just ab- totally just horrific. Yeah. But sort of, it's sort of like it's G-rated, but like what it... It's like it's clearly like the moment before the moment after was very R-rated. Yeah, exactly. All of that, all of that like horrific stuff, it exists in your mind as you read it. It's not out in front of you. And that again, it's it's really a magic trick for him to be able to do that and just say, like, yeah, we're just gonna show you this one snapshot of these people in time and let you create the rest of the timeline yourself. Yeah, well, no, I think the, a magic trick is a really good way to put it, and it is very, um, I don't know, it's just, he's, yeah, he's good at what he does. I mean, like, I, it's part of me kind of, you know, wishes that he didn't, like, retire for 25 years, but another part of me appreciates that he was just like, oh, nope, can't top what I've done, well, might as well go garden for 25 years or whatever, you know? Yeah, I, you know, he's right. He he did avoid going to the graveyard of mediocre cartoons because who knows? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, how would those 20, 25 years of cartoons have turned out? Maybe it would have been just as good as the earlier stuff. But, you know, the, the more often than not, I mean, the batting average for any comedic endeavor that goes on that long, you know, very rare for it to, to hold up. You know, so uh, he probably made the right call for himself. And looking back at it, it it's such a wonderful like shorthand comedic shorthand like i i will constantly quote the simpsons um yeah. because it this what the simpsons really does well is it you know it, they look at a situation that we kind of encounter and they find a way to take or, or like a metaphor and distill it down into like one joke so when it's so often it's like oh when are we going to get to the fireworks factory right 
Yeah. If you, if you know that, you know what it is from The Simpsons. And it's just emblematic of like, I want, I'm waiting for something exciting to happen. And, you know, when is it going to happen? Oh, it's never going to happen. This is, you know, that's what that means in that episode of the show. And the far side is kind of a similar thing where like there's almost a far side comic for every occasion that you could pull. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm, I just Googled Gary Larson. Um, what do you, what do you think his net worth is just out of curiosity? Oh God. I don't know. Um, 75 million. Honestly, 70 million. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. You're pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was estimated at 50 million in 2012. Wow, that's I guess a little lot of calendars. Well, I made some good investments, I assume. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, like I said, he he earned it. Um, you know, he he made something beloved that is like it's funny reading back on like so when he was very early in his career, like there was like an uh, um, an inflection point where the far side almost didn't happen, where he had been selling these comics to a local newspaper and he was trying to get to a bigger one. And they said, well, you can't, we won't do it until you're syndicated. And somehow it was like, he managed to get the syndication and then got the job, that job, the same week he was fired from the earlier job. So like he said, like if I had gotten fired and I hadn't gotten the gig, that would have been it. But they happened in like the same week. And apparently the reason he got fired was because they were getting lots of complaints at this newspaper about like people you know, being either offended or not understanding it. And I, I can understand maybe people not getting it sometimes, but the offensive part is mind blowing to me because none of it's none of it seems offensive. Yeah, but this is also like 1987 or no, this is probably no, like, this like 80, yeah, even earlier. It might have been 79. Something like Where that. it's just like a cow that talks like, you know. Blasphemy. Yeah, yeah, totally. So as we're kind of rounding into the end here, um, why do you think the far side has endured the way it has? I mean, I think that um I think that the far side, there is there is nothing topical about the far side. You know, there's he there's not like there's not like an OJ Simpson far side comic strip, you know. Um I think that uh what I think is really great about it as a series is that it's just it's just these like perfect little encapsulated weird jokes that kind of exist out of time, but by doing that are also like timeless and evergreen in a specific way. Like, you know, I was, I was flipping through um, all these far side strips and just as, as we were talking and it's like, there isn't a single one that feels dated, you know, Um, they all feel very, uh, you know, it's like you could, you could throw these on Twitter and or and they would immediately, you know, go viral if Gary Larson was 23 right now, you know. Um, and, you know, there's something really cool about that. Like, do you, do you know, um, kind of semi-related, are you, like, how familiar are you with, like, Mr. Show? A little bit. I've, I've watched it here and there. So, um, Mr. Show, that was Bob Odenkirk and David Cross's sketch show. And... Um, it came out around the same time as The State, which was another really good sketch show that came out on MTV. And um, The State leaned really, it was on MTV, it leaned really hard into pop culture. They would do sketches that's just like, I don't know, like, Eddie Vedder says a weird thing or whatever, you know. Um, and because of that, The State, it feels so, like, early to mid-90s. Like, it just feels very, like, dated in a specific way. Um Whereas Mr. Show, like, they had a specific goal in mind that they did not use any real characters or real references. 
to the point that like I think they have like Jesus Christ in an episode, but his name's Jeepers Creepers or something. So it's like even Jesus, they will not say Jesus's name because they're like that would date us, you know. Um, and you know, though, though I know Farset has like you know God and other and like the devils and stuff like that. It's like I think that because it it's it's just so like timeless and it didn't lean on referen- references. It. Um, you know, it was just these like weird thoughts from this crazy guy. Um, and, you know, I think that because of that, it is just like this really like these timeless, perfect, like little nuggets of comedy, you know? I think that's exactly right. I, you know, you're, you're dead on about the timelessness thing, because again, I was reading them too in preparation for this and going like, there's no reason you couldn't publish this today. There's a reason people were still you know, buying calendars and collections of these things now, because they, these jokes still work because we, our society hasn't changed radically enough to make them feel dated or we're, you know, even though they all came out in the eighties and nineties. Um, and there's something kind of comforting about that. It's like, it's comedy that it's edgy without having, you know, a, a political slant and like no matter who you are or where you come from, I feel like there's there's a comic in here for you. You know, there's there is something you will respond to. Um, there's something very human about it, despite how like weird and like not um, warm and fuzzy or emotional. Right. There's no characters to glom on to. There's no, um, you know, uh, touchy feely observations about the human condition. Everything is this just abstract, weird, uh, observational humor. And because of that, like, yeah, we, they, they, these observations are timeless and will continue to work. And so, uh, you know, like I said, I'm excited to show this to my kids and I, I have no worries that they'll get it. I like, I love Bloom County, but Bloom County is all topical. You know, Bloom County is, you know, mostly it's a lot of like, there's, I remember reading a lot of that where, you know, there's a whole plot line involving Madonna. There is scarily enough, uh, a whole thing about predicting Trump being president in there. Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of stuff in Bloom County that like, I think is funny, but only because I grew up in the eighties to know what the hell he's talking about. And this has none of that. Like you said, it's, it's just like, man, cows are weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. It's like, yep, they sure are. Yeah, it's like, you know, you know what's real weird? Uh if sandwiches could talk, like, you know, it's like sure. Um yeah, I don't know. It is just um yeah, it's I don't know. It's like it's such, such a big fan of the far side and um and I, and I and I think that like there's this um the, there's this book that's really great about I think it's called like uh I want to say it's like Finding Springfield or something like that. It's like, it's a book about how The Simpsons originally started as a, like a counterculture show. And now it's so popular that it is culture. So the things that The Simpsons did that were like weird alt comedy stuff in the 80s and 90s is now just comedy and culture and stuff like that. And it is kind of like what happens when counterculture just becomes culture and I think that the far side is like kind of in this, like even just as we're reading through it as to, you know, like guys who came up through the alt comedy scene, it's like, it does feel like, you know, the far side probably was very, 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 very weird in like 1982 comedy terms. Um, you know, when like Johnny Carson was still on the airwaves and all of that, but like you look at it now and it's like, Oh, it feels like the far side has, um, 
the far side has influenced so many comedians who are now mainstream comedians now you know things like uh like rick and morty and stuff like that it's just like the idea of like comedy being weird exists in the public consciousness in a way that maybe didn't in the 70s or whatever and um you know i think that because of that it's like looking at it it kind of feels like society probably gets the far side more now than it did in 1984 just because like the culture has shifted in such a way to where what was just like way too weird in the 80s is now just like oh it's like a little bit weird but not crazy you know yeah and like there's a famous scene in um in cheers uh that i found looking for stuff on youtube where um they're they're trying to explain a far side comic to woody you know uh there's a um a simpsons joke where homer you know you know does not get you know he's just li- literally flipping through them going like i don't get it i don't get it uh and you're right like i feel like now like because the far side has kind of taught us how to understand the far side and uh it, all of the stuff that's sprung from it you know again like you said counterculture becoming culture it it feels like Gary Larson almost unlocked something for us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's just, I don't know, yeah, like the far side is just it's just good stuff all around. Well, that's a good place to leave it. The far side is good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In closing, the far side, a okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, Joey, uh, can you tell our listeners where they can find your stuff? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks again for having me, Doug. Um, it's always so fun to be on this podcast. Um, yeah, uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter, uh, TikTok, and Blue Sky at Joey Tainman. You can follow me on Instagram at Joey Clift with like five or six eyes because a 12-year-old took Joey Clift with one eye and I just have to deal. And then um, if you want to uh, check out some of my work, um, you can watch Spirit Rangers on Netflix. Season two just dropped a few weeks ago. So proud of it and happy with how it turned out. So definitely check it out. And then my um, Comedy Central digital series, Gone Native. Um, we just launched a really great website where you can watch all the shorts. Gone Native is... Um, it's basically uh, it's a series of animated comedy PSAs about like weird microaggressions that native folks often run into, and you can check all those out, and um, also get some cool resources to learn more about you know different you know native issues um, at gonnative.tv. So uh, that's that's pretty much uh, I don't know that's my deal. Also buy a far side book. Actually no, don't buy a far side book. Gary Larson has enough money. Steal him from the internet. <laughs> right. Teach him a lesson. Um, yeah. So, uh, to do a little admin on our side, of course, if you like the show. Um, like, rate, subscribe, uh, drop us reviews on iTunes or uh, Podcast Addict or wherever you found it. If you have feedback, send it to at NostalgiumPod on Twitter uh, or find us uh, on Instagram. Just type in Nostalgia Arcana and you'll find it. And uh, please uh, follow us on Instagram because that's where I put bonus stuff for all these episodes, uh, a little extra content for you there. Um, if uh, you have thoughts on the far side or our other recent episodes, which include, uh, we just did that one on um, uh, everybody's favorite Disney songs, uh, we did one on Jurassic Park before that, and before that, uh, I think Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Coming up, uh, we've got uh, next uh, for 4th of July is Rocky Four, followed by, I believe, Terminator 2, uh, other things in the mix are Back to the Future, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so uh, lots of good stuff coming down the line. And Joey, uh, one for you, we're going to do Chrono Trigger uh, pretty Hell soon. Yeah. So that I'm really looking forward to that one. Uh, and uh, yeah, that'll do it for this one. Th- uh, Joey, thanks again for dropping by. This is great. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. And go to the far side. I don't know. There's not a catchphrase to end on. (laughs) There's none. So, uh, yeah, until uh, next time, that's one more entry in the Nostalgium Arcanum. Uh, What's the matter? I don't get the far side. (laughs) 
Woody. Woody, hand it over here. Come on, let's have a look. Okay, Wood. Now, you see here in the first panel, cows are standing on their hind legs, right? The second panel, when the car goes by, they're acting like normal cows. See, the idea here is, Wood, that, uh, you know, <laughs> cows only act like cows when, when we're around. Other times they act like people. <laughs> you know, does that, does that help you clear it up a little bit for you? Just, man, I don't get the far side in my newspaper at home, but thanks for treating me like a one-year-old. <laughs>